This is the Truth in the Matters podcast. Welcome back for another edition of Bible Study Reflections, solo or with friends. This is episode 135. I am your host, Jonathan. And for those who are unfamiliar with this segment, let me give you a quick background story. It was inspired by a Bible study I had with two of my friends, and we did it once a week. Basically, we would choose a book in the Bible to unpack together, choose two or three chapters, read them individually, and see what we could unpack by ourselves. Then we would come together, fellowship with one another, and learn about what we believe God has revealed to us individually and share it with one another. Remember, scripture says anytime two or three are gathered, there am I in your midst. What I concluded from these talks is I will still be full of information and yet still curious about a lot of the things we discussed. I decided to create this segment called Bible Study Reflection Solo with Friends and the goal ultimately was to grow in fellowship with others. If you are open to fellowshipping with me on the next Bible Study Reflection episode, Reach out to me on TikTok or IG, and that is the truth of T M I S. Again, it's the truth of T M I S, and we can ensure fellowship with one another. You can also reach out to me on the Facebook group that I have called I'm a Believer. It's called I'm a Believer. And of course, last resort is you can reach out to me on email that's the last resort of course and that's at speed it 83 at gmail.com so speed and you put ed at the end of it 83 at gmail.com and i'm looking forward to hearing from some of you again it's s-p-e-e-d-e-d 83 at gmail.com so for starters let me say on behalf of the truth of the matter this podcast family Merry Christmas to you, to your families. If you are tuning in, thank you so much for pressing play. You definitely didn't have to, but it is greatly appreciated that you have decided to do so. Now, normally as the holidays are approaching or have arrived, you would notice that podcasts, TV shows, series of any sort tends to go away for a little while and rightly so right you have people that are on these shows whether they're actors actresses hosts who deserve to be with their families right they deserve to have a break they deserve to be refreshed vacations and then they come back ready to start something new obviously this year is pretty much coming to a close and we're entering 2024 so sometimes people go away to sort of reinvent themselves some believe in resolutions obviously here on the truth in the matters podcast i believe in themes if you haven't checked out that episode for the theme of the year of last year I give an extensive explanation behind that. Now, 
I believe it's important and necessary to produce a show for those who are traveling, right? And as a person who does travel, right, I'm also a podcaster. I work, and a lot of the times I do work, I'm on the go a lot. And I understand the importance of having something to play other than music to sort of stimulate my mind. And therefore, I think some form of content needs to be accessible for people like myself. And therefore, I thought of all of you who are out driving and traveling. And this is the reason why I'm here. So, the truth of the matter is, everyone isn't staying home. Right? Everybody's not staying home. And everybody's not going to be occupied with family. You have different ways of life and different experiences and different traditions. And therefore, I think it's important. And I believe that conscience should be available in and out of season. So, I'm not going to cut our listeners short due to the holidays. No, I have something available for you today. And I hope it's a blessing and it's helpful. Now, before I reflect from a Bible study I had this week, let's begin with prayer first and foremost. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I just want to say thank you for your love and concern for humanity as a whole. I want to say thank you for your for your provision and your purposes for me and everyone you have created. I know that everyone won't accept you, but the scripture says, even though we may be faithless, you still will remain faithful and true to your word and character. Your God, the one true God, Yahweh, the I am, the Elohim, who doesn't change like shifting shadows. Instead, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Therefore, Lord, as I reflect on your word today, please give me the confidence, the heart, and the mind to provide something worth listening to. I pray that it is worth anyone's time who presses play. Lord, thank you for all that you've done for me. And as a follower, an ambassador, a representative of you, the least I can do is declare your goodness and the impact that it, it has had on my life in hopes that others can see what happens if they place their faith in you. No, it won't happen overnight. No, it won't happen at the pace we wanted to. But in anything in life, it's a progress. And part of operating and building a strong foundation in faith is going through the highs and lows. I thank you for those highs and lows because through those highs and lows, I'm able to understand and hear you clearly or more importantly, see you work and operate under dire circumstances. If you're listening and you agree, please join me by saying, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, first person I want to thank before I get started is Eric Boca, high school friend. We've been on this journey in the book of Psalms and our Bible study, and I must say, I'm learning to appreciate and to understand the book of Psalms. 
my personal opinion is that I honestly, for quite some time, have never really enjoyed songs like others. But I think you sort of find that quite often in any book of the Bible. You're going to find some books you like more than others. You're going to see that maybe there's some books in the Bible that you don't appreciate that later you will appreciate. But that's part of the process of growth and development, right? I don't know if I don't know if this is ever going to be my favorite book, but I do see the necessity and the growth and the development for my mentality to change on the book itself. And I also see the critical teaching tools that it can provide and reminders and the influences that it can have on any said reader when they pick it up for sure. Now, before I provide you the passage that sparked this need to reflect, I need to establish a foundation on which my points can rest upon. Remember, with no foundation, you have no structure. And in this case, if I want you to receive what I have to say, I have to sort of build my argument so that you can understand the direction that I'm coming from and you can understand the heart that I have to provide the explanation needed to receive what I'm saying to you. So, the history of Christmas without question is controversial. It's a controversial thing. My goal today, of course, isn't to try to convince you of whether you should celebrate it or not. That, my friend, is to each his own. Again, is to each his own. Of course, the argument's been made. That Jesus' birthday isn't on December 25th. I accept that. I understand that. Some say it's somewhere between August, September, October. That's what historians argue. That is what the premise is. So the question is, why are we celebrating it in December? You know, but I sort of think about this in a practical sense. That... There are times in which we have other obligations, right? Let's say my birthday lands on a Thursday, but I celebrate it on a Saturday. Does that change the significance of value of why we appreciate the particular day? Yes, obviously, Saturday is somebody else's birthday. But we have the flexibility to shift and to still acknowledge Something and its monetary means along with its significance and how it plays a role in anybody's particular life. Right now, I want to suggest that we should acknowledge and recognize and appreciate the coming of Jesus Christ. I believe we should celebrate that regardless of the day that it falls on. Without question, I'm sure that the Lord does not discriminate, but accepts the praise and worship of his people regardless of the day, right? I'm going to behave because that obviously gets into other different topics, but I believe praise and worship and acknowledgement to God does not need to land on a day. It should be every day, right? Each and every day we should be thanking God for the opportunity to live and to do something with our lives within the 24-hour span that we have. 
we should be thankful to the Lord that he's breathed life into us. And therefore, by responding back, we should be productive with the time that we have. Obviously, time is ticking. Time waits for nobody. And as a result, we should not take that for granted. Now, that brings me to ask a question. Why did Jesus make an appearance? There are logical answers to this and there are biblical answers to this. The truth of the matter is both both will suffice. But in particular, my goal here is to provide you some biblical truths about answering this question. And I've said it several times here on this podcast. So if you are a consistent listener, this shouldn't be a surprise to you. So it starts with first John. First John, we did a first John series. We discussed some of these Verses I'm going to mention here as I establish this foundation I have so that the argument can lay on something foundational and it can be helpful to you. First John chapter three, verse eight says the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The reason why the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And that brought me to think and reflect even more deeply. What were some of the works, the workings of the devil that Jesus needed to come and dismantle, destroy? And we can go on and on about some of these because I'm pretty sure a lot of these we are very much familiar with. But one of the ones I want to highlight right now is confusion. Confusion. The devil has people questioning who is the true God. The devil has people believing that regardless of the God you serve, each of them will grant you access to heaven. Now, if that's not confusing enough, I don't know what is. But what does Jesus say? What does he say to respond, to destroy this narrative, this falsity? Well, Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, what Jesus is really saying is that I am the only way, the only truth, the only life. And that ultimately you should be modeling your life after me, the example setter. That's what he's saying. Now, obviously, I've added to the verse and it doesn't say the only way, literally. But if you read the whole verse in context, the most important part, that is no one can come to the father except through me, which means Jesus is the only way. So he's making a powerful declaration about who he is and what he represents. Therefore, there's no one else other than him that can give you access to the Father. If you go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 23, 1 John chapter 2, verse 23, it says, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. 
As you can see, if you deny the son, you do not have the father. But if you acknowledge the son, you have the father. So not to be malicious if you think that God and the father are not of one, right? We get this out of John 10 30, then you're rejecting the son and accepting the father. But Jesus made it clear that in the garden of Yosemite, I believe, or Yosemite, don't know the pronunciation of that, forgive me. There was a point in time where Jesus says that if you glorify him, you're glorifying the father. Pretty clear. Which means the glory goes to the Father by your glorification of the Son. Let's take it a little bit deeper. Let's take it a step further. Let's go to 1 John. And let's go to chapter 5, verses 9 through 10. It says, again, 1 John chapter 5, verses 9 through 10. It says, we accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his son. Whoever believes in the son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. So God's testimony about his son is very important because scripture declares it is the testimony of God, the testimony of God. Now, we know from Scripture that God isn't the author of confusion. So when he says believe in his son, then we should because his testimony supersedes everyone else's. There's significance in human testimony. But if God's testimony is about his son, that is the testimony that we ought to receive. Jesus actually says something similar he says believe in me he says believe in the father believe also in me so as you can see they are both supporting one another because they're all part of the trinity as one so god warns us or announces the coming of the son in genesis three fifteen, and if you're trying to have what is considered a healthy perspective and understanding when it comes to the secret of events of how things have transpired it is important that you understand that there's a foundation set to understand that how things came to be is resorted with the idea according to god's story that he announces the son to glorify him and in the son when he comes he glorifies the father okay now jesus is the way the truth and the life and we find this out obviously in john 14 6 it also says in first john chapter 2 verse 6 Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Now, Jesus is the example and our example. 
because he is the only perfect human being to walk this earth, thereby making him God in the flesh and the only credible candidate able to fulfill the mission and take on the sins that we've been committing within the world, not just to ourselves, but the impact that it's had on the world and everything surrounding us. Okay. Now, why am I explaining all of this? Why is this so important? Why, 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 right? What else did Jesus destroy? Well, he destroyed the mentality that we have when it comes to fear of death and the doubts about the afterlife. Jesus conquered death so that none of us would have to fear it because it's through him we have everlasting life. So Jesus destroyed the narrative that God doesn't love us. How did he destroy that narrative? By sacrificing his own life on our behalf and bearing the sins of the world on his shoulders. So as you can see, thus far, Jesus, when he appeared, had work to do, had to redefine how God was being looked at. Now, of course, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the beginning portions of the book, whether it was Moses, whether it was Sansom, whether it was Samuel, so many different other books kind of illustrate that God was communicating through the prophets. We know in the book of Hebrews, it says that God was com communicating through the prophets. In the latter times and in this recent times, he's been communicating through the Son. Therefore, we have a clear indication and understanding that the method of God's communication has advanced, you can say, or has altered, you can say, or has shifted and moved in different times, in different places, right? If he's talking to the prophets and then he's talking to the apostles, that's a shift in the voice of God, right? He was speaking in one way, speaking in another, he's speaking through the son, he's speaking. Now we have the word of God that all these things have been noted, have been put into place. And as a result of that, we have something to lean on and trust in. Okay. Now, earlier I was talking about what is considered the apocalyptic point of view. And I was mentioning that earlier because there's an apocalyptic study is basically the study of how things came to be. And if we're looking at the Bible from front to back, there are different portions in history, biblical history that interferes with history currently that lines up for us to see how the Bible and the stories in the Bible are relatable and accessible to personal experience and how we deal with things now. And therefore, they're teachable and helpful for us. And we've discussed this some time back in regards of how these things are written for our betterment, for our understanding, for our ability to lean on it to help inform us about what we do. Okay, now the second reason. Jesus appeared can be found again in 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, which says, We know 
also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. That goes into verse 21. Now, why am I mentioning this? The key term in this verse is understanding. What does Proverbs 4, 7 says? Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom and with all thy getting, get understanding. With understanding comes clarity and with clarity comes the ability to receive. And when you understand and you receive, that changes the outlook on how you see the world. It also changes the outlook on how you make decisions, informed decisions, right? And I think what's kind of sad is that we, that people, there are some people that make uninformed decisions. And when you make uninformed decisions, that's where you're making decisions that are quite ignorant. Right. There's a difference between ignorance and stupidity. Ignorance in this case is not knowing. And when it comes to knowing who our Lord and Savior is, when it comes to knowing why you believe what you believe, and it's not just what some people like to say about our belief in Christ, is that it is a blind faith. When in actuality, it's not a blind faith. It's the reason trust. That's the reason why you believe. It's a reason trust. It's an inherent foreknowledge. It's a enduring process. That is how your faith and the practical stance is explained. Now, why did I provide you the Proverbs 4, 7? Why am I talking about understanding? Because Jesus appeared to destroy and debunk false narratives about the character of God. And what better way to do that than to show up in the flesh and make your dwelling among people. In fact, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 18, it says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So, what better person to... Be qualified to tell us about the father than the son who himself is the father, right? I'll say that again. What better person who is qualified to tell us about the father than the son who is himself the father? Making things available and, and accessible so that we can understand how we are to act and have our being. Okay, so now that we went over why the sun appeared, I will tell you the passage that had me reflecting about the conversation I had with Eric in our Bible study. And that's the book of Psalms, chapter 68, verses 19 through 20. Psalm 68, 19 through 24 says, Praise be to the Lord, to God, our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Verse 20, our God is a God who saves from the sovereign Lord. Now, when I read this passage, I thought about the celebrating of Christmas and about the arrival of Jesus Christ. And that's pretty much what the season is about, right? The celebration of Christmas ultimately is the arrival 
of the anointed one, Emmanuel, God with us, right? It's not a coincidence that you can't spell Christmas without Christ, the anointed one, right? For, for me, there was a realization that many today and have and always will are going to question and never quite understand why God chose to address the issue of sin through Jesus Christ, right? Even in my philosophical studies, the desire is to search for wisdom and this desire to flourish. But theories, ideas, ideologies, they have loopholes. They have image bearers, us, that have hard times trying to fulfill them. You have systems that are established that don't are not necessarily friendly to everybody's circumstance and situation. You have those that are in favor and those who are not in favor. And yet God chose an agent, a second Adam, to enter into the system and change the system from within. Right? You know, when we talk about the gospel message, it's not just a personal transformation. It's a public reform. So Jesus came in and gave blueprints to change the system in itself, to impact the people around that make things flow, to change the way they think, the way they operate, the way they move, the way they maneuver in a society. Jesus entered into that space. And what better way to spread an antidote within a space that is that's operating with a virus so christ came and cured the virus the issue is is that the only way you're going to get cured from the virus is to accept jesus christ there's no other option right when he says i am the way the truth and the life he's the only one that has the blueprint the knowledge the insight he's wisdom itself when we talk about that proverbs chapter 8 or yes 8 when it talks about that. So, is an understanding, there's a realization that people are going to always question why God chose to address the issue of sin with Jesus Christ. The question will always be that if God is God, why do it the way he did? And as a person who has taken the time to read his word, I have come to appreciate the process of God in so many ways. He's honestly not asking us to do anything he hasn't done. Right? And I'm not saying he goes through a process like us. But all things play out in a process. The appearance of Christ and the mentioning of it in Genesis 3.15, we don't hear nothing about it into the Gospels. Which means decades and decades have went by. Time had went by. And God understanding time knowing there's no limits in time entered at a place in history that was very significant and important right impacted the timeline itself so god doesn't always do things right away i think there's a reason why he says revenge is not ours it's his because there is a timely matter in which god is operating in and his time is always on time 
You know, there's a prophecy in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 47 to 52, and this is what it says. Gospel of John, 11, 47 to 52, 47 to 52 are the verses. What are we accomplishing, they ask. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. So as you can see, these this is the Sanhedrin with the chief priests, the Sadducees and Pharisees having a conversation about the threat of Jesus. Which means this, it adds credence to what I said earlier, is that Christ's arrival came to uproot and came to be destructive and change is coming in a time frame that impacted people's statuses and how they live their way of life and the way that they live remember the issue with the pharisees and, and the sadducees was that they were prideful not just prideful they didn't lift a finger to help people and they were religious and forgiveness was something that they didn't quite operate in Grace was something they didn't quite operate in either. So his time of coming to address these issues with their own people was threatened to them because they have been taken advantage and they have been operating on a system that is rigged and they have been doing things that are unjust, that were not righteous and that were in error. And Christ came to question the things they were doing and mention things that could possibly change their outlook. And unfortunately, some did change, right? And others didn't. Now, when you get to verse 49, it says, Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was in high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You don't, you do not realize that this is better, that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. Now, he did not say this on his own, but as a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So it's because of Jesus' sacrifice. And it's because of the father raising him from the dead that we get what happens in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 24 through 28 we get what happens in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 24 through 28 it says Jesus lives forever he has a permanent priesthood therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he has always lived to intercede for them because he always lives to intercede for them, because he always lives to intercede for them, verse 26, such a high priest truly meets our needs, and one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, verse 27, unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. First, for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people. He scattered for their sins once for all when he offered 
himself. Verse 28. For the Lord appoints as high priests men in all their weaknesses, but the oath which came from the law appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. So let's look at the word intercede. The Hebrew word for intercede is paga, P-A-G-A, meaning to entreat or pray. In the Greek, I'm not going to even try to pronounce this. I'll just spell it out. E-N-T-U-G-C-H-A-N-O. E-N-T-U-G-C-H-A-N-O, meaning to petition. So when someone intercedes in this case, it would be Jesus. He is expressing his thoughts on whether he is in favor or against something. So when it comes to sin, he is completely in control of that in returns of forgiveness, right? To kind of set that up and explain it a little bit deeply from a biblical perspective, let's go to 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. It's all in the context here. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. The part that I want to focus on was verse 8, but more importantly, verse 9. Verse 8 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Very clear. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So, from a personal standpoint, and what the pastors in Psalm 68 did in relation to reflecting and understanding what Christmas means to me i think when i think about christmas i think about the arrival of god in the flesh and what he did for me and i have to remember that it's not just for the jew but it's for the gentile as well that's where we get the passage of the gospel of john 11 verse 47 to 52 our god jesus christ is a god who saves what he does he saves he provides he sets an example he saves he provides he sets an example he saves he provides he sets an example we don't have to carry the burden of sin anymore we don't have to carry it anymore because jesus already addressed it with the work done on the cross for you and me. Now does that mean we don't have to carry our own burdens or each other's burdens when it comes to challenges daily? Of course not. We still have to walk this thing out before we enter into everlasting life, eternal life, which is a gift from God. 
right? It is by grace through faith we are saved, not by our works of our own. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. So yes, at the ref reflection and consideration due to the times, right? Being Christmas, Psalm 68, 19 through 20, praise be to the Lord. To God, our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Our God is a God who saves from the Sovereign Lord. There's a passage in Isaiah 53, verse 5, NLT, which says, He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins, and was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Isaiah 53, 5. So Jesus took on our burdens in that moment of humility once and for all so that he could daily intercede on our behalf every time we are led astray by our own desires and personal intent that aren't led or inspired by him. The cross for Jesus was a one-time thing and it's because of his coming and all of his and because of this of his coming because of his coming all of this is possible it's because he said on the cross it is finished we have hope if we place our faith in him so thank you jesus for making your appearance and taking my place thank you jesus for thinking of me before i was even born thank you jesus you truly are the reason for this season and you do not have to share your throne with anyone. With that being said, let me close out in prayer. Oh God, in the name of Jesus, you will always be the reason for the season. Therefore, I thank you, honor you, and glorify you. I pray that we don't get sidetracked and that we are fully aware that it is not about santa claus it is not about frosty the snowman it is not about rudolph the red-nosed reindeer it is not about the drummer boy this is about your son jesus christ the greatest gift to the world that is in need of it desperately every single day so i pray that more people will come to faith sincerely lord i know that if you began a good work in anyone, you would bring it to its completion. So I trust in your timing and in your will. Lord, I say these things in confidence and with surety. And all who are in agreement are welcome to join me as I say this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.